Lab talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab talk with Laura. Always more in story. Lab talk with Laura. To the 36th episode of Lab Talk with Laura. Um, I'm joined today by my co host, Sean Calhoun. Hi. And my guests, um, Dr. Angel A. Garcia Jr. and David Davis. Um, Angel is an assistant professor in the Department of Geology and Environmental Science at James Madison University. He's also the current chair of the Diversity in the Geoscience Committee at GSA um, until June 30th. He's a Boricua, Puerto Rican, and um, he obtained his PhD in Geological Sciences from Arizona State University in 2018. Um, he's a geologist's interest in the intersection between place theory and communities to inform ethnogeology and other multidisciplinary research, often using caves and other karst features as a central theme. Mm -hmm. Um, David Davis is the incoming chair of GSA's Diversity Committee, and he's from Merced, California, but calls Atlanta home now. He got his Bachelor's of Science from Georgia State University um, Geoscience Program in 2020, and he's currently a PhD student at Rutgers University, where he studies the influences of salt-loving microbes, known as halophiles, on salt precipitation. Um, thank you so much for joining me, uh, David and Angel. Thank you. Thank you for inviting Great. Um, so to get started, I think um, maybe since you're the the um, the current chair of the diversity committee, and we're here to also talk about the Onto the Futures program, which both of you have been alumni of. Um, Angel, could you maybe tell me about um, your experience as the diversity chair this past year, and some of the things that you've been working on, and you know what you what you've been um, up to, I guess, in that role. Yeah. <clears throat> um... I, I will start with um, not how much I have done, but um, now that I'm almost at the end of my of my term, the I was reflecting the other day like how much you want to do, but you don't have time to do. Um, let me start with that. Um, it 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 is really it's a little bit challenging to make an impact as you want when you have a job, right? And this requires a lot of time. Um, getting into this position was um, it's such a privilege for me, right? Because um, I, I've been many stages of participating in many parts of, of GSA, but now um, getting into the share, I, I, I was able to, to manage many things. I think one of the things is that I learned is this type of work, it is not done by just working really hard by yourself. It is done by working really hard with others, right? Um, and working with others is not just um, like in other tasks. It's not just a dividing of, 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 of pieces, right, to conquer. It is more like tackling really big chunks um, that needed to be tackled, but at the same time, right? It's not one big thing. It's multiple big things that everybody is, is, is tackling at the same time. So um, it's been um, really, really, um, really good. 
um, for me, really rewarding. Uh, I met a lot of people. Um, I've been in a lot of meetings. Um, I shake in a lot of hands. <laughs> I, I, I collaborate in many, many things and it's, it's been really good. Awesome. So have you and David, have you been talking to each other about kind of this transition where you're coming in to be the chair of the committee? Has that been a conversation? Yeah, um, and I will speak, David, um, a little bit um, about our conversation. I think um, some of the things that's how I, how I I got into this position is also um, like I, I was mentioning, I've been many part of many stages of this whole family of programs. Right, I was an OTF um, student, um, then I became an OTF mentor. Um, and, and then I, I start randomly showing up to the diversity in the geoscience committee meetings, right? Um, I was, um, selected to be a, a member at large. Um, and when they asked me, um, if I wanted to be part of the, you know, the chair, um, it, it seems logical at the time and it still do that I was, I was getting into that position. So, Really similar happened with um, David because um, you have a more holistic understanding, right? When you are in a position like this, that how other parts that you're serving are going to be getting, um, you know, benefits from it, right? Um, we, we, we just not revise proposals or I mean, we just not revise scholarships or, or things like that, but... We, we're trying to make an impact and we know what is um, on the other side of making that decision, right? I'm, I will say things are getting more, more um, uh, I will say um, there are more resources available and I, I should not share too much information because this could, um, this could ruin some things, but um, our job in order to be part of, of of previous stuff, right? And now being part of the other side, each each side of the coin, um, it, it is um, it's a unique perspective, and and that's how I approach um David. Like um, you being part of this since you are uh, an undergrad, right? And you you've been transitioning, and I think you would be an excellent asset into this committee. And I will I will let David talk because I I've been. <laughs> talking too much <clears throat> yeah that you know so it was um and that was it, it was actually last year uh Angel and i had a, had a had great conversations last year at, at last year's gsa meeting in denver and um and the funny thing is it was i yes I, 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 I was uh otf in 2016 and that, i was an undergrad at the time um and um i'd been coming back and you know, back uh, from time to time to GSA meetings to present research, but also to take part in the the OTF workshops that were that were um, provided for for um, OTF alumni. And but uh, but also um, I um, served as I applied to be on the I nominated myself to be on the committee. Um, I think it was 2019, I believe. And um, they just let you do that. And, you can nominate Second. yourself. They just let you do that. You, you can nominate yourself. Yeah, you can nominate yourself. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, at the time, I didn't know anyone. I, you know, I was, and to be, <laughs> to be honest, I was an undergrad, and um, 
and I, uh, but I knew I wanted to be on this committee. So, you know, I, there was a PhD student in my lab. I was like, hey, dude, nominate me for this committee. He's like, what committee? I'm like, the diversity committee. He's like, ah, you know, he didn't care. And then, um, you know, so <laughs> then, um, uh, he's probably going to watch this. He's probably going to text me anyway, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so anyway, I, so I was like, you know, I'll just nominate myself. And so I nominated myself. I didn't get it the first time. And then uh, the second time I, I nominated myself, um, when there was another opening, I, you know, I made the point that, um, I felt like I could, I could, um, uh, that, that, that I have experiences and a, and a voice and, and a vision for GSA that is, um, needed because I mean, you know, um, there aren't that many black people in geology and geosciences and, um, and I didn't, I didn't, and that was basically the, 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 the argument I made, like i I felt like I should be on on, the, on that committee, and so I, I eventually got on the committee. Um, but last year, um, I, as I was, I think I had a similar realization that Anhel had um, last year during the the um, committee meeting um, at GSA. Um, I was sitting there thinking, like, you know what? I there's so much more I wanted to do on this committee, um, and so I asked Anhel, like, hey man, what like can't what is there a way that I can do more? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, well. Um, maybe you should consider becoming the chair. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh man, uh, you know. So, but <laughs> you know, and, 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 and running the whole damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was. It was. I, I'm sorry, say again. <laughs> oh, I said, all right, have you considered running the whole damn thing? If you want to help. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and um, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. I, I, when I said I, I'll think about that, I wasn't. I don't know if I was actually that serious. And then, and this is really funny because I, I thought about it literally all day. And then that evening we had a um, we had a diversity reception, <laughs> and on my way up to the reception, I got in the elevator and I, I told Anil this, and we we kind of had a laugh. But on my way up to the to the reception, I got in the elevator, and this couple gets in, and they're like, "Oh, are you the, are, are you the DJ?" I'm like, "No." Do I look like a DJ? Like I'm dressed really well, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm, you know what I mean? And I was like, look, badge, GSA, science, geology, like same as you, dude, you know. And anyway, so when I got off the elevator, I was like, yeah, maybe that was a sign. Maybe I should do this. And then I saw on on hell sitting at the table, and I was like, yep, yeah, I think I'll do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I I, I want to add something. Um, um, two things. Um, it is funny showing up randomly to meetings or nominating yourself. But sometimes it takes that to to start making change, like to out of the blue doing things um, instead of waiting for, for, for people to recognize you or to invite you right to the spaces. Um, so, you know, the thing that I want to say it is, um, <clears throat> so the, the terms gets... Um, um, constrained into time limits. So the only way to keep David in the committee was um, that he is a share, because if not, he needs to stop his... I mean, you cannot be more than two years, I believe, um, a was, member at was, large. Yeah, three yeah, years? It was, for me, it was, it was like three years. Um, yeah, it was three years. Actually, it might have been a little more than that, because... I was asked when I when I when I initially got the position, they're like, "Hey, you might serve one more year than than normal because I forget what the it was technicality, but maybe it was COVID, yeah, oh, or it something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah." But um, this is how um, like for me right now, I I I I need to I need to go. 
I cannot serve any more in nothing in that committee because I I I use all my time in all the 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 positions on it. So it was strategic, and I want to say that um, it it takes that it takes sometimes just to show up and nominate yourself to to start um, right contributing to the conversation. Yeah, I love that you you went for it twice. You were like, I'm not gonna let this stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, that's really interesting that there's there's term limits. Do you feel like I don't know that that must be hard to be so involved and then to not be able to be involved anymore? Is there a way for you to stay involved as outgoing chair after you're not on the committee anymore? I I think the what well, kind of like I mean I, I know Steve Steve Boss. He's a professor at University of Arkansas. He, um, he, I mean, he goes to all of the the um, committee meetings, and I, that's my plan going forward. Like once I'm done being chair, I'm just gonna I'm gonna continue going, um, you know, uh, sitting in on the on the on the committee meetings uh, because I, 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 I thought there's more work that needs to be done, and, and not that you know, you know, I don't mean to sound like um, there's a there's a uh, book series I love called The Expanse, and I don't want to be like there's a there's a uh, a villain named uh, Admiral Duarte anyway. He's like immortal, and 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 he like wants to oversee this this um his 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 planet's future. But anyway, my point is, I don't want to be that type of person. But I do feel like I, I um I want to see the diversity committee continue to do great work, and I know they will. I know we will. But I do I do I don't feel as strongly about any other committee as I do the diversity committee because I think it's I feel like it's the most important committee that GSA has. But. The Expanse clearly gets way more wild than uh, what I've seen so far. <laughs> oh, yeah, my bad. I'm spoiling stuff. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I guess transitioning from talking about what you've been working on, David, you know, coming into this role, like, what are what are your priorities? What are your goals? Well, you know, I, I want to, there's, um, I want us to continue on with what we've, what we've been doing, right? Making GSA, um, um, more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive, right? All these things. Um, and, uh, there, there's, and there are a lot of awesome people, um, that are in GSA that want the same thing. And I think we, I want to continue that work. Uh, there's a, um, a society that's called the National Association of Black Jewish Scientists. And I'm part of that society. And I always felt that, and apparently that, that uh, there used to be a closer relationship between GSA and NABG. Um, I want to see that return. Uh, I think, um, GSA and NABG should have a closer relationship. Just like, um, um, I mean, in any society where there are people of color doing science, geoscience, chemistry, whatever, I think GSA should have um, a relationship, a close relationship with those societies. Um, and I, I, I know there's we there's um, work being done to create a um, a speaker series, so someone or a, a few people from um, from that are part of that society, uh, NABG, would go around the country giving talks about um, about their work, um, just highlighting the work of awesome Black geoscientists because we do exist, um, and 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 that's that's you know the 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 only time in the year where I see as many of us existing is when I go to that that conference. So, uh, and I think more people need to see that. More people need to be aware um, of 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 the contributions that uh, that Black folks are making to geosciences. Um, secondly, um, there's also, I want to also help, um, with, uh, establishing a, um, I mean, I know, uh, onto the future is a mentoring program, 
but um, uh, there. I know uh, I and, and 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 a lot of other people want to see um, more of a a, a longer term uh, mentoring program established. Um, that's like that would take you know a, a future for a, a student four years into their you know their future, and um, and I think that'd be great. It, training mentors, right? And and actually at the end of this thing that we would be um, it's basically a mentor training program, right? So you you come into the program. Um, and you learn how to mentor other students, um, and that that'd be great. And I think it's needed, right? Um, and you know, I feel like a lot of times, for me, I, I think when I when I first my first meeting, um, I didn't know what I was doing. It, uh, OTF really helped um, guide me, right? I, I just showed up. Um, I mean, yeah, I had my lab group there, um, and but. <laughs> We only kind of, you know, we, but I mean, we were around each other, but only on the day I was presenting, right? So, um, but I, I had this structure, this, you know, a lot of awesome people at OTF, um, and uh, it was great. It was a, it was, it was wonderful. So I, I think if other students can experience that, especially students of color, um, I think they'll see that there is a truly a place for them in geosciences. I thought it was really interesting what you said about training mentors because I, I feel like I don't really hear that outside of it you know I, I you think about there are people that want to be mentors there are people that oh they might be a great mentor but then there's the idea of like hey how do you not be a sucky mentor you know like maybe wanting to do it isn't enough <laughs> like I like the yeah. idea that that you could get some actual training in it uh, and not go in blind yeah, I and I, I agree with that because you know I, I think there are there are people that that uh, there I mean I think their heads and hearts are in the right place but, um, but I think uh, some training is needed right because I, I think some people might, <laughs> I think some people might think that mentoring is 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 um, kind of like the 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 science slap in the face that they got during their PhD when that's not really you know doesn't that doesn't work for everybody right and um, you know so and really that's only really. Um, that's only really passing on bad habits and bad, just, it's just, it's not, it's, it's passing trauma down, right, to, to your students. Like, I've heard stories of, of, um, PhD advisors or master's advisors, or whatever, um, treating their PhD students or their master's students just like their advisor treated them. And that's not healthy, right? That's not healthy. It's, it's, there's no growth there. And, um, so yeah, so, and, but some might see that as mentorship, but it's not, <laughs> it's just, you know, more of the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I will add something um, that the relationship between mentor and mentee um, on the other side, we, we, we also need to talk with the mentees, how to be good mentees, right? Um, because it is a reciprocal type of relationship that is not just gathering, gathering, gathering. Also, it is prompting to get gathered, right? Um, communication is important. Um, asking perhaps not all the time the right questions, but at least in the right direction, the questions. And also um, when you're training mentors, it is how to, to, to try to, to, to gather that um, communication for your mentee, right? So mentor-mentee both need to be trained on how, on how to be a good um, relationship um, 
And I, I mean, Lisa sure talk about it like uh, something that you can either um, foster naturally, right? Because you have some sort of of connection and things um, in common, but also, um, we, which is this is the one that we are talking about that we are um, kind of like um, coordinating or a little bit orchestrating to to happen. Um, um, at GSA, right, and outside of GSA, I remember my first, um, my my mentor. He, he's still a really good friend, and I consider him a, a professional mentor right now. Um, that first GSA meeting that I went as a grad student, um, he was my OTF mentor. And we talk, and he showed me many, many. Um, he talked about he talked with me about Cave and Cars Division. Right. And um, I remember talking to me about the important people. And one day he literally say, OK, we need to go to every booth that is related to Kevin Karst. And he introduced me to every person in, in the in the booth section um, that there were um, related to Kevin Karst. And this is the people that that is my network right now. That That's what I do. Right. Um, so. Um, I'm not saying that be, because of him, I'm part of this community, but I'm saying he really facilitated me start feeling that I was belonging to this community, right? Um, something that maybe will be taking me a little bit longer. I'm persistent, but maybe it will take me a little bit longer to do it by myself. Yeah, and as a younger person in an organization, you know, just coming into an organization like that, you often feel uh, like, oh, you know, all these people are such a big deal. I can't talk to them. And so it's helpful to have someone be like, no, they're not a big deal. That guy, that guy stinks. That guy, she's, she's a complete nut. She's like, these people are all fine. Like, take them down a peg or two for your mentor, you know, prematurely. Yeah, and it definitely, yeah, uh, that all that's true. And it, it does help to have someone, to have a mentor facilitate an introduction, right? Because, um yeah, it can be it can be daunting, right? As as a especially like an undergrad, um, it can be daunting. And then I think once the once the introductions are made, you can kind of go off on your own and 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 wow them, right? Hopefully, but but you're right, mentors are are, are, are great in that in that regard in many regards, but especially that one. Yes, you've both brought up um, the Onto the Futures program. It's in its ten year anniversary right now, I think, and it's cool to hear like how you both remember like your first meeting. I think that is something that's gonna stick with everybody probably that, that experience of the first meeting. And it sounds like you were both in the Onto the Futures program for that. So do you wanna, I, you started talking about it, but maybe, I don't know, talk more about your experience with it and then also how you've seen it evolve and where you want it to go. Yeah, so my OTF year was 2016. And um, yeah, and it was, you know, the funny thing is I, I'd heard about GSA, it was my first GSA. And I'd heard about GSA, um, and I wanted to go the year before. I just didn't have any data um, to present. So um, the next year, I was like, "Cool, I have data. Let me. I want to go." But I was like, "Oh man, I can't afford it." So then I um, I saw uh, I, I went to the website to look for for travel grants, and I saw OTF. I was like, "Oh, well, what is this?" And at first, and I think I, I said this in the in the write up as well that I at first it was simply a travel grant for me. I was like, "This I need I need money to go, so I'm apply." But then I read. The, the solicitation right and um uh i was it, it i was like wow this is perfect this is exactly for me and um 
And so, but when I went, um, uh, you, so you're set up with a mentor and you meet with that mentor several times a week. Um, but you also, you know, you're, you're going to, um, to, um, to like to talks every morning. Um, and, 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 and these, a lot of these, these talks are meant to, um, help you understand for one, how to navigate the meeting, but also, um, get you more comfortable with networking. Right. Um, and for me, that was important. And I was, I, I actually, because of that meeting, I think I became obsessed with networking because I, I think I, I saw the value in it and, um, and kind of the, the, the web of connections. And so, um, it was a great experience and I made a lot of friends. Like I made great friends during, during, during that year and every year after. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a great experience. And I, I think I'm, I'm, it was for me, mostly it was, it was, um, it was not feeling lost and then also feeling like I had a place, like there was, there was something specifically for me at GSA. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I think it's funny. I think most people, when you show up to GSA and you're a black or brown person, I think most people probably automatically assume now that you're an OTF student, which is great. I'm not, I wear that as a badge of honor, you know? And, um, when people talk about a sense of belonging, I think sometimes uh, that's that's an an understated um, uh, thing in life, right? Because you know, um, not that life is it, it can get lonely, and especially in the geosciences, especially in STEM, when you are the only black person in your department, or you're the you know, what I mean, it's it can get weird. It can get weird. Um, so, and luckily, and that's not really the case right now, but. Um, and that wasn't the case at GSU, but I, I can, there have been moments where I'm the only black person in a room, you know, and that's weird sometimes, especially having lived in Atlanta for so many years. Um, so that, that, that feeling of belonging was, is, was, and is very important to me, um, for, for that, that, and that's what, that's one of the things that OTF provided. So. I know that especially as undergrads, like that's the, you talk about the sense of belonging and it's, it's. It is so important just to, to keep students sometimes, uh, like just because, especially in STEM, like you say, uh, uh, that imposter syndrome can, can be so daunting, especially if you don't know anybody. And it, I don't know, for me, I remember as like an engineering student, I was just assuming that everybody was brilliant and, and I was the only one that was just hanging on by, you know, the skin of my teeth. And yeah. I know now that wasn't the case, but I didn't have, you know, a community uh, to, to kind of like ground me uh, in that way. So, yeah. And I also think that sometimes you can be, it, it, you know, even if um, it depends on where you are. Right. But like at, at GSU, I was I was lucky that there that eventually, there, you know, more black and brown students started to join that department and they started to recruit more black and brown students, which was great. Um, but I, I, I did internships at other places where that was not the case, right? So there would be these moments where I'd be like, oh man, like I'm really struggling with this particular concept. I don't think I'm gonna bring that up because you know what? They probably won't understand where I'm coming from with this, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, so it's interesting. Right, and the additional pressure put on you by being like the only uh, person of mm -hmm. color or, you know, black person in the room, like the the feeling of like needing to represent, right? I don't know if that... That's a... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely there. That's definitely there. I mean, especially if uh, I don't know. You know, I, and I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know if you've had this experience as well. But I, I think also sometimes there's this idea that 
um, maybe you got to this particular place because you're you're a person of color, right? That, that's the only reason you're here. You're a person of color. They kind of let you in here, right? Instead of actually being dope and, you know, being able to do the science, right? So that's also, that's part of it, yes. And, but so, in, and even in, and in that, you have to, for me, I have to prove to people that I'm, I deserve to be here, right? And that also, and that gets tiring. That gets tiring and frustrating and infuriating, all the things, right? But yeah, so anyway, take away on hell. I think I've said enough. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> oh, what's the question again? <laughs> um, about the onto the futures program, your experience with it, how you've seen it grow, and and maybe where you want to see it go. Yeah. If if that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, my first um, GSA was in twenty fifteen in Baltimore. Um, I was uh, let me see. Second year PhD student at Arizona State. Um, this is not my first professional conference because I, I've been going to other conferences really early in my undergraduate career, like SACNAS, um, I don't know, uh, Goldsmith, um, ESA, um, things like that. Um, my background was less geological as an undergrad and start getting more geological through my master's in, in PhD. But um, this was my first, um, right, GSA, Geological Society of America meeting. Um, I remember that they paired me <clears throat> with, um, um, they paired me with, with a mentor and it was um, a little bit of a known territory for me. And I remember the following years, they start developing a workshop on the Saturday before the conference starts that is called um, something like showcasing um, showcasing uh, yourself or something like that. <clears throat> Anyhow, what, what it does, it is, uh, it, it, it's, been, it's been getting um, more, I mean, with practice, it's been getting way better. But what it does, it is... Um, giving you, uh, providing you the space, the time, and the mentoring in that day to reflect on where are you coming from until get here and where you want to be. Um, in a sense that think about it as a, I don't know, as a, as a career map or think about it as a, a right, a, as a journey, I don't know, treasure hunt or whatever you want to do, right? Um, and these, um, Kathy Ellings, um, Steve Boss, um, have been really, um, <clears throat> really essential in developing this. Um, but, um, also I've been seeing how, um, it's been progressing on, on supporting, um, um, these, not necessarily these mentor-mentee relationships, but at least um, something that happened last year that it was, it was I was mind blown. It is um, last minute, um, and he knows this was last minute. Um, the 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 past president and Mark, um, he contacted us and he says like, "Hey, um, I've been thinking about this idea. Let's see if it works." And I want to develop affinity groups, um, and these affinity groups. Um, his idea was on this day in GSA, 
we will take one room and everybody from that affinity group, um, black in, in geoscience, indigenous in geoscience, Latinos in geoscience, you know, all these different affinity groups will meet there and will just nothing structured, nothing formal. They just will meet there and they will talk. Um, and we start campaigning that over Twitter, start campaigning over other social media platforms. And anyhow, um, I was not able to attend to other, uh, other affinity groups, but my affinity group, which I went to the Latino one, we call the Geo Comunidad, Geo Community. It was full, full of people that I had never seen uh, or never had a conversation in my life. Um, that people who said like, um, I love that this um, comes to place because I, I, I feel like I, I don't have a chance to connect with my community, right? I mean, I have a community in oceanography. I have a community in, in, in many of these divisions, but I don't have a, another type of affinity, right? That is a really bit hard to explain because it is professional, but also it goes tangential to personal too, right? Um, not not having this type of, of affinity is just because I'm this color or because I speak the language. It is also having another dimension of connectivity with these people, right? Um, and and when I um, I reflect on my time from 2015 to now, um, I'm seeing uh, uh, a community, a geoscience community that um, I want to say, I want to be positive and say that it's going in the right direction to, to be a more inclusive type of community. Um, I, I'm thinking that um, I want to be positive as well that as an organization, GSA is going in the right direction um, or is actually playing all their cards to go to the right direction. Um, we will find, and they know they will find hiccups, they will find many challenges on the way, but um, they still um, they still want to go and they're intentional about it. Um, and, I, and I want to shout out um, the name of Elizabeth Long. Um, actually, this is the person who put us in contact, right? Um, that... Um, Many things are happening in GSA um, are not just because um, volunteers such as me or David, right? It is the combination of work with somebody that is getting paid. That's their work, like Elizabeth, and with volunteers, right? And I think that um, that teamwork that is that synergetic that is happening um, because of that, that, that synergy, um, it is 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 really good. Nice. That's really that's really cool to hear. I did get to see. I, I didn't go to any affinity groups because um, I feel like I'm in the default affinity group of GSA, which is white people, right? Um, but the, <laughs> you didn't have a white people affinity group. Yeah, we. Were, I think it's. I think it is unfortunately the default. Yeah, that you you automatically get to have that affinity. You when can you just go. stay in the lobby when all the other affinity groups are are going off. But I did have a lot of friends who went and expressed the same sentiment that you know it was just such a an part of the meeting for them to get also that informal space right like not anything in particular that's supposed to happen 
Oh, yeah, I imagine that, like, when you said that you went to, you know, a strictly, you know, Latino, uh, you know, affinity group, I, I, I imagine that the first thing that could happen is you can speak, you know, Spanish in that group in about geology, which is maybe something that you can't do all the time in America as a geologist, you know, or in the U.S. as a geologist. Yeah, um, and, and this is... Um something that even if i'm not gonna be the share anymore this is something that i will keep working um i remember um like three or four years ago somebody um a really a person that i really respect into this community wrote me an email like why you don't propose a session in spanish <laughs> at gsa and um at the time i was really um I was really committed into developing sessions at GSA about different ways of knowing and traditional knowledge, including indigenous communities in geosciences. And, um, and we were working really, really hard on that. And now that I have been letting, um, you know, younger scientists, early career scientists, such as me, but a little bit earlier, um, a little bit younger, to, to keep developing those roles and keep developing their plays um, into that conversations, I'm starting to gearing up to, to these type of ideas, like, right, why we cannot have a GSA, I mean, a, a session, a technical session in Spanish, um, because actually GSA incorporates parts of Mexico Technically, it does, right? Even even when you read the 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 um, description of the southeast, it includes parts of Mexico, um, in uh, in Puerto Rico. I am Puerto Rican, right? So, um, and I think um, it is um, it is going into that direction that um, finally we can feel that we can propose that. Right. And um, having that 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 place, as you were mentioning, having that place, um, I, I guess. Spanish in that location becomes secondary, but the 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 shared, the collective experiences become one. Right. Um, even even you think about it, um, many of them uh, of that community don't don't speak Spanish. But that we have, outside of the language, we have many commonalities that make us connect. Um, and that, that's the beauty of it, right? That um, even if um, that, that affinity that gets us together, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, because sometimes it's food, sometimes it's language, sometimes it's even last names, sometimes is, I don't know, a person in common, sometimes are just stories. Um, but um, that, 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 that space to develop those affinity, to develop those connections, it was really needed. Very cool. Uh, I want to I want to make space to talk about some of your science as well um, and how that's I guess intersected with your roles. Um, I don't know uh, maybe David, you want to talk first a little bit about what what you're working on research wise? Yeah. Um, so uh, so I have two projects and and the the, the second one is um, a little more recent. It's it's kind of occurred in the last uh, uh, four months or so. But um, 
But uh, my chapter one project, though, is, is um, so we're looking at how halophiles or salt-loving microbes influence salt precipitation. Um, and we're thinking this may occur because um, and when we say salt precipitation, the influence of salt, precip salt precipitation, we're thinking that maybe the presence of, of these halophiles um, um, causes salt to precipitate more quickly, or uh, it might change um, um, even slightly the the crystal chirality or crystal structure of uh, a salt crystal, be it uh, halite or gypsum. And if that's the case, then that's something that we can search for on Mars. That's a biosignature that we can search for, even if the micro, even if the organism itself is gone, we can still use um, that that the the the, the crystal structure if in, in fact it, it does influence that um, as a biosignature. So that's that's um, chapter one. Uh, the other things I'm working on. Um, uh, so I I I. Uh, I um, studied clays mostly clay minerals uh, as a as an undergrad so I, I fell in love with clays as an undergrad and i've been looking for a way to to um get back into studying clays um and uh so there's a there's a um a type of clay called a smectite and an illite the smectite is an iron rich clay a uh, illite is a uh, potassium rich clay um we it's been um Several papers have written about this, but um, uh, a um, a iron reducing microbe can reduce the iron three in the in in the octahedral space. Was it tetrahedral? Oh my god! In the structure, it's the structure of the of the clay mineral, right? And once that iron is reduced, it turns into iron two. It's liberated from the structure, and in comes potassium because there's a charge balance imbalance now, and that that potassium has to come in. To balance that charge. Anyway, uh, I'm interested in um, isotope fractionation in that in that um, in that reaction in that transition that microbial transition from smectite to illite. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, let's go back to the halo vials. Um, so, like, how? What were you? What were you doing? Like, were you doing lab work, field work? Like, what were you looking at exactly? It's it's uh, it's lab work, yeah. So it's mostly lab work. I mean, there there are some some field samples that my advisor collected, uh, Kat Dawson, um, um, a few years back. She went to the um, the Great Salt Lake, so Spiral Jetty. So our samples are from well, the samples we have samples from Spiral Jetty, and um, so it's so Spiral Jetty is in Salt Lake. The this uh, another place in Southern California, um, and I forget the exact name of the location, but it's a soda lake. And a soda lake means that it's it has a higher pH, so it's like a pH of maybe eight, right? And and it's it's an alkaline lake, right? So um, anyway, um, so the there were two novel um, halophiles that were cultured from those two locations. So we're using those um, halophiles in our experiments. So um, and our experiments consist of um, well, so for one one is an evaporation rate experiment, and that's the one we're we're trying to use to say. Um, whether or not these halophiles are actually causing salt to precipitate faster. So our control is microbe-free um, so, uh, so, uh, brine solution, and our actual experiment is the um, the inoculated um, brine, right? And you'll know that the, the 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 brine is inoculated with these halophiles because the water the the brine turns pink. It's a beautiful beautiful pink, but that happens because there's a protein that these halophiles have called halorhodopsin 
and um, uh, but what happens is uh, 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 it um, it's activated by light, but they use that light um, to pump. Uh, basically, they use the that that protein pumps in and out um, potassium, sodium, chloride, all these things, right? So basically, what's happening is you're having um, uh, chloride being pumped into the cell, potassium pumped into the cell because they have to maintain um, the, uh, the so the same um, so the, the the pressure that's exerted from um, the salt water on the outside, the cell has to has to has to be able to combat that, right? So it has to pump in um, these ions, the chloride and the potassium, right? Um, so, uh, that, and and in saying that, that's the other experiment we have. We're thinking that because it, if we do find that that these halophiles are um, uh, influencing salt precipitation, we think that might be because um, because they're pumping in chloride and pumping in potassium. Uh, they're creating a um, a concentration gradient close to the cell. So you have less chloride, right? Or you have so much more sodium um, close to the cell, right? And a little less sodium uh, outside of the cell. But it's, it, it's not it's not chloride-free water outside of the cell. It's just m so much more sodium close to the cell than it is further from the cell. So we're thinking that if this is the case, uh, then we might have salt precipitating close to the cell because there's so much more um, salt close to the cell because it's pumping in um, uh, chloride and potassium and not and not sodium. So um, that's uh, so we have, we have a range of experiments. That's two of them. Uh, a third one is um, um, we're looking at. So I have right now I have um, some samples that are or another brine solution that's in the dark. And one of the things we're going to test is whether or not. Well, for one, we want to we want to look at um, to see if there are any changes in um, sodium chloride or uh, sodium or chloride concentrations or potassium concentrations in the um, the brines that have been left in the dark versus the ones that are in sunlight because the that that's how these proteins function right they pump the sodium and it, we should see a difference in um, in uh, sodium concentrations from the one that's been left in light to the one that's been left in the dark and I think at this point um, I, and I won't check those till I get back which is um, I'll be back in like at the end of July so yeah. So uh, yeah, and then of course, then Sorry, once once I get all that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once I get all that, then I then of course I take things to an X-ray diffractometer, um, or or a T or a trans or transmitting electron microscope, transmission electron microscope to actually see if the crystal structures have changed. Mm -hmm. Right, um, and that's yeah. where so, you're looking for the chirality is in the is is seeing the change in those crystal structures. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So, oh, and and I don't completely understand chirality, but I know it's a it's like a handedness, right? So it's like um, Left I know one thing. thing. Yeah. So, but I know that uh, we and the reason we we were looking at chirality is uh, crystal chirality is because we we know that um, certain organic molecules will uh, attach to um, chiral faces of a crystal, right? Or there uh, and and um, we're thinking that if if these chiral faces can um, if they if these if these uh, organic molecules can sort to these chiral faces. Is there also a relationship where they're influencing the chiral faces, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. And that um, the chirality. So yeah, we're using this word that I think is probably like a. Which I love that you said you didn't really understand it all that well because that's a that it takes. I, I think it takes a, a a strong scientist to admit that they don't know every little thing about what they're doing. Because who does? Right. Yeah. 
But so is that is that something that can be like remotely sensed? Then is that the idea that like you could remotely sense Martian salts, or is that more of like if you were sampling salts on Mars? Yeah, that's the so that that's the hope is if we if we get a sample return. Now, I mean, I, I, yeah, you, and well, the thing is, the instrument that 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 would do that is a, it's a single crystal X-ray diffractometer, right? So there's an X there's an XRD on one of the rovers, but it's not a single crystal. Single crystal requires a near perfect crystal. It needs to be a certain size, right? So it's an yeah, like that wouldn't work, right? Because it needs to be, um, I think it needs to be like ten microns or so, right? Um, so so what what you could do with that is like just shave off a little edge and then take it under a microscope and shave off another little edge. Um, so it, it's impossible. It's not. Impo I mean, I don't think it's it's boots on the ground on Mars. Maybe one day, right? To to actually throw it on a, on a single crystal XRD um, on Mars, but that's that's a long time from now, right? So the best we can hope for is maybe a, a, a rover breaks off a sample of some gypsum or some halite somewhere, puts it in a canister, and maybe when 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 astronauts land on, on, on Mars and they send it back, or I think there's plans to have a have a, a um an, a, a, an automated or robotic um, sample return mission. Um, hopefully, uh, in the next I don't know 15, 20 years, and um, hopefully I'll still I'll, I'll be relevant enough and, and important enough in the in the, in the astrobiology world that I'll get one of those samples. So. That's what my PhD is about, though. So that's what I'm hoping to, uh, you know, to to garner that 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 uh, that relevance. So it's good to make long-term plans yeah. <laughs> for like <laughs> yeah. you're like I know what I'll be working on in 15 years. I'm good. I've got this locked down. <laughs> I also it was interesting to me that you mentioned that the the solution is pink with the halo files because that reminded me that um, the Great Salt Lake is kind of divided into two parts, right? And the northern section is is more salty and also more pink because it's got those microbes in it. Mm. Like you yeah, can see even yeah. from satellites that it's pink. That's how yeah. a sea monkey's doing that? <laughs> I don't know what a sea monkey is. Yeah, I think it's sure. just a brine shrimp, but then I always heard that's where the sea monkeys come oh, from that you yeah. buy at the store. It comes from the Salt Lake. Cool. Yeah, pretty neat. Um, so, so you're working on your two experiments kind of at the same time with the, the halophiles and the clays? Well, the clays, um, the clays is going to take a little bit more time because we have collaborators in South Korea that are running. So I'm not uh, running the. Um, so what happens is they're, 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 they put these clays, these iron rich clays, um, and, and, and they're uh, they put them in incubations with um, iron reducing microbes. That takes weeks to months to up to up to a year. Right, I think that's the longest experiment they have up to a year. So. Um, as it stands right now, I probably won't get samples until maybe um, in the beginning, beginning of September, which is fine because that's that's uh, that's when I get. I mean, I, that's not when I get back from from Italy, but I do. But my my timeline is basically I don't really have time to work on it until then anyway, so it works out right. So I get back from Italy, and I, I have my my proposal defense, uh, my uh, dissertation proposal defense. Um, I want to say the first week of September. So at least that's what's planned right now, um, and yeah, and once once that happens, I think I'll I'll be in a, a better place to actually like focus on 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 that, and, and hopefully by the end of the year, um, you know, uh, writing my my salts project up as a manuscript. But at least that's the plan. So I uh, I am mostly just working on um, uh, the salt project, but I'm thinking a lot about the 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 um, the, uh, the the clay project. That counts. Yeah. That counts. 
I know you were yeah. telling us before we before we started the podcast about Italy, but do you want to tell tell us again about Italy? Oh yeah, so um, I'm going with it's called the uh, the International Geobiology um, uh, Field School, and uh, so I'll be going to Italy um, to basically I'll, I'll be going caving, collecting um, um, just all sorts of awesome stuff. Um, so just samples from the caves. Uh, um, um, oh my god, like. Uh, I'm blanking on on the names of these things right now, um, but it's it's basically like it's it's we're gonna be looking at these sulfide or these sulfur rich uh, streams and 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 ponds. So we're gonna be collecting. Um, um, oh my god! I mean, it's basically it's mats, microbial mats. There we go. So we'll be collecting microbial mats and um, and other uh, uh, microbial lights uh, from from the caves. And then um, once we get back to Penn State, which is where which is the host institution, uh, we're going to be learning more laboratory techniques because I'm not a biologist. I'm a geoscientist. But what I wanted for my PhD was this kind of bridge between uh, geology and microbiology. Um, so uh, and it's awesome that, that I found this opportunity. So when we get back to Penn State, we'll be doing the lab work, um, you know, learning how to do, you know, um, all sorts of stuff. So. Nice. Well, that's a good that's a good transition too to talking to Angel about your work a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Um, I saw you <laughs> celebrating the, the cave. Um, um, for the listener, you know. Laura was also pretty excited when you said you were going caving. I gotta say, <laughs> I think everybody's sort of lit up. Yeah, um, that was well set up, um, David. That you talk about cave. You were like, okay, now I need to transition. Let me say the word cave. <laughs> And now it's my turn. Um, wow. Um, let me see. Um, I am a, a karst geologist that is interested, like like you read, right, in the intersection of many things using cave and karst as a central theme. Um, some of the the things that I have been publishing and you know that I've been getting proposals are more. Or not more, but are towards the what we call it, not geology, which is um culturally framed geological knowledge, um in Puerto Rico, mostly in Dominican Republic, um, right now I'm doing a little bit of of, of a different aspect of the ethnogeology or place based education place based research that we are collaborating with the oldest show cave in the continental U S. Actually, in the continental and contiguous U.S., that uh, having show show tour, I mean tours of of this cave, it's called the Grand Caverns. Um, they discovered the cave in eighteen o four, and they started giving continuously until today tours. Um, tomorrow I'm giving a specialty tour in that cave, um, a geology specialty tour celebrating Cave Week um, since eighteen o six. Those are some of the, the the things from that area that I've been that I've been working. Um, right now, we are collaborating with the University of Puerto Rico in doing some um, pilot climatology using stalagmites um, from uh, relevant, culturally relevant caves in Puerto Rico to try to contextualize a little bit of the, some archaeological finds um, to that region. Um, uh, in my lab, um, right now, we are working on using LiDAR with SLAM technology to um, LiDAR with SLAM to map caves from inside out um, and georeference them and study a little bit of the morphology, 
um, and hydrology inside of caves and the interconnection of them. Um, you're using photogrammetry, we're using, you know, the, the whole point cloud, um, orthomosaics, all these things. Um, and um, right now, um, I'm the co-PI of an NSF grant, uh, one of the NSF grants that, that I have, one of two, that is an REU site. So we host 10 students from around the nation to do research in cave and karst in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, and um, these students are a fantastic cohort. Every time this is our second year out of three, and it's called UROX, um, Undergraduate um, Research Opportunities in Cave and Car Science. Um, I didn't came up with the acronym. It was the other um, PI who came up with the acronym. He is the best doing that. Um, but UROX is being, um, is being a way to one, contextualize many um, these subdisciplines um, that are closer, that it could be into this community. For example, we um, accept students from biology, we accept students from environmental science, we accept students from geology, et cetera, et cetera. Because we think um, the karst science is a multidisciplinary, multi-angle, and sometimes transdisciplinary right, um, type of, of subdiscipline in geosciences. So, and also second, we want to, we wanted with this project start to um, uh, start moving the conveyor belt into into bringing young people to to this type of of, of, of framework, right, of theoretical framework to move into other programs like grad school and so on that um, they need um, scientists um, working with karst problems, paleoclimatology, um, geomorphology, all, all those things related to karst. Um, and the other one that uh, I am um, copy, I, it is GeoSN. And it's basically, um, we, um, we, it is a, a, a project in where we work with professional societies, um, geoscience professional societies, organization groups, into develop uh, some sort of like a, 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 a norm of what is being diverse in geosciences. And that is an NSF um, project as well. But yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a cave person and I, I, I spend a chunk of my life in the darkness, uh, or at least with a headlamp. And um, I, I, I've been known for, for doing many, many, many things with that central theme as cave and karst. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of projects going on. You got a lot of things that you're juggling. I do want to go back and ask a little bit more about, you talked about um, a project you were doing in Puerto Rico with culturally relevant cave sites and paleoclimate. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. Um... That's one of the projects that really excites me a lot. Um, so uh, first, um, and this is what I'm what I'm about to say. It will it will show a little bit of who I am a, a, as a person as well, right? And trying to with to to put together all these pieces. Um, the we are since um, a long time. You know, Puerto Rico is part. Um, and a next territory, or some people would call it uh, even even a colony, right, 
of the United States. Um, and with that comes uh, many, I will say that relationship comes with many positive things. But one of the negative things that it comes, it is that our, our narrative, even scientific narrative, is really heavily influenced by the continental U.S., right? By another train of thought, by... Um, I can talk even about um, helicoptering, right? That people come from here to there, do their things and live, right? So for, for many years, I've been collaborating with this group of scientists that we want to uh, place-based the narrative and develop an narrative, scientific narrative of things that are happening in the in the island. And one of the things that we were able to um to to I will say to propel successfully is with cave and cars research. Um so um I don't know if you um if you were aware uh, there was a, a science um article I will say uh, like a month ago, two months ago that it talks about that um, people in the Caribbean actually are more complex than we think, right? And they've been in the Caribbean for thousands of years. Um, so that, that, is, that is really big because it's challenging that narrative of, of colonialism and it's challenging that narrative that is not place-based. We know we've been there for a long time, but you see in many places, you see that constantly um, exterior narrative that is saying, no, these are simple people and they've been here for a short period of time. So one of the things that we are um, collaborating with these archaeologists, Dr. Daniel Rodriguez Ramos, it is um, that um, we want to reconstruct a really micro scale of the paleoclimate um, Using the calcite, using the oxygen and carbon from the calcite, but in a in a instead of, I mean, usually you see it. Um, people studying paleoclimate from the eleven, twelve thousand years, trying to understand the last maximum glacial, right? Um, but we want to to emphasize or to focus on the last four thousand, five thousand years, because this is where we have evidence that people were already in the Caribbean. Right. Um, so in a way, it is um, contextualizing their finding, many of the findings into uh, an environmental um, type of, of where were these people finding it? Like when they went, when they were um, navigating the Caribbean Sea, right, what, what, what they were going to and why they like to, to stay, right? What were the conditions? And perhaps there were some, there are some studies done studying paleotempestology, like maybe we can uh, understand a little bit of the relationship of hurricanes and Caribbean people. And, 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 and let me tell you that every time that we say hurricane, we are talking indigenous Caribbean words. It is coming from Huracan, which is one of the spirits of Waibanze, right? So these whole things are really um, close to each other in but this, this is this is the main idea to contextualize some of the ecological and keep developing place-based narrative. Wow, cool. Yeah. I wanted to just open it up if there's anything else that anybody wanted to bring up or talk about that we didn't touch on yet. You, uh, 
brought up Elizabeth Long earlier, and I wanted to I wanted to give her a shout out as well because uh, a lot of um, I had, I actually reached out to her um, a few like a month ago because I um, I want to do a good job as the uh, as the the incoming chair. Um, I want to follow in this man's footsteps, um, and um, so I reached out to Elizabeth to, t to say like what you know how uh, just kind of like I just need to know what what's what's going on in. Um, in, in, in the society and, and how I could be of service. Anyway, so um, I just want to give a shout out to Elizabeth because she's very helpful and she's awesome. And um, yeah. Nice. I, I want to add to this conversation that, um, and I, I don't want to be, uh, <laughs> to get back to seriousness, um, but we're having fun with all this, the, the last part of the conversation, but um, change, um, it takes intention and it takes work. Um, and when you see that you get these emails about being a volunteer for a specific committee, um, don't dismiss that email so quickly um, because you might be uh, an important piece into the change that needs to be happening or or you want it to happen, right? Um, and you don't know how to contribute to the conversation. Um, it takes, I'm not saying it's not enough. It, it is enough that showing up to these events, it, it is enough to share in social media. But if you want to make an impact, it is, you need to volunteer what is the most precious things for you, which is time, right? Um, whatever you think about time, time is money, Time is happiness. Uh, translate what times mean to you into these positions, and being intention it is is the key part. And also with time, with time uh, comes with um, being in patience and being as well, um, right? Um, have perseverance into it. Um, uh, David didn't got here um, overnight. Um, I didn't got into this position overnight, um, but it took um, direction, intentionality, into getting to to make to start making these changes. Um, and I, I I don't care if a year from now I'm not remember as the last year. I don't care about that. But what I care is that I was able to to impact with my time and my contributions. X number of people, right? That um, that they feel part of the geoscience community, that they feel part that they belong, right here. That this is my society as much as it's your society, um, and we are here to stay and move this forward. Yeah, so sorry for setting the tone. That's no, that's no, please don't apologize. Thank you. I was, I was just you know, taking it in. I I really appreciate those words, and it's uh, you know, and I I appreciate you both for the service you're doing for GSA, and also um, taking the time to share it here today. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I was also just thinking about like like you say, time being just one of the most valuable resources that you know busy people have, and you know you're talking about okay, I'm trying to. I'm trying to, I want to make a difference uh, in, you know, and, and leave the, leave the, the culture of academia or of, of, of research better than you found it. And, but what is, but that takes, 
that takes like time you're not getting paid for, time you're not you know devoting to your research, to, and and like you said, that's like the most important stuff. Like we we were you know you're working so hard, there's only so many time, so much time in the day, and and that's the <laughs> ultimate commitment. Is at at the end of the day is 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 your your time that you're not spending with your family or with your cats or or you know hanging out with your friends or whatever you know the stuff that you that you're that like that you're giving up because you're 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 devoting it to uh to trying to 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 make your community better which is that's that's the real deal i salute <laughs> great thank you um awesome uh so yeah i think we're we're ready to move on to the final um portion of this recording which is our, our game gta Ooh, guess okay. that acronym okay, so here we go here we put Sean on the hot seat, and you both provided some acronyms that are commonly used in your disciplines. Um, so I think we'll start with Angel's acronyms. Um, so our first one here is T-E-K. T-E-K. Uh, that's that's I, it's something about Ted. It's it's not Ted the with starring Mark Wahlberg and the guy from Family Guy. It's Tech, which is the sequel, probably. Is that right? to 10? To 10. Is that correct, Angel? Um, a lot of people keep saying T-E-K instead of tech. Okay. Um, oh, oh, but are you asking me what it means? Or, yeah, or no? Is no it yet. Right? Is it the sequel to the movie Ted, or is it something I think else? it might. Oh, um, T-E-K, oh, sorry. It means traditional ecological knowledge that is rooted in many... Um, lone residents or perhaps in the genus groups that that's how i um there's a, a little bit of intersection between place knowledge locality knowledge and and practices with that locality with it comes with traditional ecological knowledge mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's cool that reminds me of like I, you were even talking about limestone uh you know karst and caves and i was thinking about i was just in i uh for my honeymoon, I was in uh, Tulum, Mexico, and we went to some of the cenotes, which are uh, like caves that are were sinkholes, or, or some some of them are open, or some of them some some of them aren't. And we were able to go down into one of these uh, one of these caves, and it was you know there was water down there, and they were like you can swim in there, and I was like ah this feels like I shouldn't you know pollute the water or whatever you know because uh, I, you know it's it was really a, a magical uh, place, but then I found out that they had been that the the, the Mayan people who who live around there have been doing uh, wedding ceremonies down there in the water for like you know who knows how long or I, at least I don't know how long maybe they do but yeah. but uh, so I was like okay well maybe I can swim around in there a little bit which was great because there were little fish <laughs> there were bats flying around it was very cool uh, yeah yeah um, and also for um, just adding a little bit of um, one of the no one the 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 origin story or the creation story I should say the or creation story of Caribbean people it is that we came up from one cave, and everybody else came up from another cave, so it, it's really relevant, right? Um, that's how some practices and I, I always like to 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 bring this and even with Puerto Ricans I talk about this as like. You're playing. You're joking. This is not true. I'm like, no, this is true. So we have a a saying that um, I know you from the time of the Wakara, 
Um, it, uh, WACA is an indigenous word, but you, the, the whole phrase or the whole idiom, it is like, I know you're from a really, really long time, but WACA means cave, and it means, it, it's alluding to that origin of that creation story that I know you when we came out of that cave together, right? I know you from really, really time back. Nice. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. Let's do one of David's um, acronyms here. PCR. Oh no! Uh, it's it's, it's that's uh, Pedance Clearwater Revival. Clearly, it's a it's a band from the '70s. They were big into you know not as popular as CCR, but it was close. I I don't know. I I, I got no idea. I don't. It's, if it has to do with halophiles, maybe it's got something to do with... Oh, it's not potassium, though, because that would be K, right? Mm, oh. I don't know. Uh, oh, wow, okay. Potassium, calcium, radium. No, that can't be it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it, David? <laughs> no, no, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, so it stands for uh, polymerase chain reaction, so it's a technique used um, to... Um, uh, to um, uh, multiply or, or create many millions of copies of DNA, a targeted piece of DNA, right? So if you're, in my case, if you, if I, if I wanted to, if you wanted to sequence the DNA of our halophile, I would do PCR on a particular piece of DNA, um, so that I could get many copies, so that I could actually sequence it, right? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So you're using that to study the halophiles. I feel like it's a word that or a term that's also been, you know maybe introduced into the common language from COVID Absolutely, testing, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and the funny thing is I didn't, um, you know, my, my PhD started in 2020, uh, COVID started in 2020, and then PCR tests, and I didn't understand, um, I was like, yeah, PCR test, what is that? And honestly, it was only until last year that I really understood what PCR was because of my research, right? And at first I wasn't really concerned with, I was really mostly with my research. I was really mostly concerned with um, with the the mineralogical aspects of it, right? But uh, and the chemical aspects, and then you know I started reading more about halophiles. I started reading more about how how to identify them, and um, then I came across PCR. I was like, oh yeah, I've been hearing a lot about this the last few years, and so and then and we also we you know that's one of the techniques in our lab that 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 we that we that we that we um that we have the capability to, to to do so but pcr is um it's awesome it's, it's a powerful tool very powerful yeah so let's go back to one of Angel's acronyms uh we talked about this a little bit earlier slam <laughs> oh, okay so it, i know that the lab the m is not motion but i'm kind of thinking that this is something that has to do with uh you take like an ipad and it's got a camera on it, and you just like wave it around in an area, and it takes a big picture, like a 3D picture of the entire area. And the only reason I, I, I think that is because like somebody brought an iPad into where I work and did the same thing and like mapped the whole office, and it kind of worked and kind of didn't. Okay, but what do the letters stand for? Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is. We want to know. Uh, okay. But tell okay. me about so the letters. I don't, know, I don't know if that's what it is, but it's, so that means it's got to be it's, it's something little, something little, because if it was too big, you wouldn't be able to carry it around. Something little, Apple made. 
Something little that Apple made because it's, it's Apple made. you have an iPad to do it. Is, is that what Slam stands for? Um, no. Um, let me first start with new iPads have LiDAR on it. So maybe what they did in your, um, your office was a LiDAR scan. Um, and some people combine photogrammetry with LiDAR in those small devices. But SLAM stands for Scanning, Localization, and Mapping. And what it means is um, um, instead of, of shooting 300,000 points, in my case, 300,000 points, X amount of points per second, and, and getting to hit a surface and come back and keep you know, making kind of like a database of the the angles that is coming, the speed that is taking to come back that will tell you distance, blah, blah, blah. It's doing that stitching every second of it. So right now, if you are in your bedroom, right, and you're scanning, um, the next second is taking that scan and attaching it to points that are really similar to the the next second, right? And so the next second with the previous second and so on, and you're building these, um, you need to have a, a, a hard drive with you, uh, a computer, but it's doing that in that hard drive. It is stitching, stitching points that are in the same, um, in the same orientation, the same distance, and that's what SLAM does. So that's why I can walk with it or put it in a drone or drive with it or, right? Um, that's what, what what I can do. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's using you're using lidar for to to develop those points. It is lidar. Um, the slam is more like a how you call it. It's more like a um. Oh my god. Um, will come to me, but slam is more like an algorithm, right? That is contextualizing those points within those points, right? See, I'm, I'm a sensor and test engineer, so now we're back in my court, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, uh, my experience with LiDAR is I use, I use photo detectors a lot at, for, for, you know, measuring things that are very small and close together. And the younger people that come in, you know, like the interns and the younger engineers, they're always like, oh, is that LiDAR? And I was like, I'm always like, no, this isn't LiDAR yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I use um, my... I mean, with mobility comes some restrictions, right? Or some limitations. I think one of the limitations is I don't have these massive point clouds that another LiDAR device will have, right? Um, or really, um, I think sometimes we, we, we estimate like one centimeter to six centimeter margin of error, right? Which... You will say, that's not a lot, but when you are measuring a cave shield in a cave, in that cave shield, it is one centimeter thick, they're missing it. <laughs> like, literally, you are not seeing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Okay, we'll do one more acronym. Um, okay. This one's from David. Uh, D-A-P-I. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm thinking about halophiles again. I'm imagining myself as a halophile. I'm a microbe, and I love that salt. Can't get enough. So, um, um, I'm, I'm daring all the potassium to come into me. <laughs> 
dare all potassium inside me. <laughs> Pump it out right what? back in. It's pretty good. Yeah. Something like. You know what's funny? It's I mean, it's not that far off though. Honestly, it, it, not potassium, but it's not that far off. It's, it's um so um it, uh, the the ac so it's the acronym is DAPI, right? That's the last of the word, right? DAPI, but it stands for uh, diamadino uh, phenylindole, right? But it's a it's a stain. It's a stain that's used to um, uh, so you can stain a cell, but it, it can penetrate the cell and it can actually stain um, the uh, the the nucleus. So you can use it to count nuclei or um, or to um, um, to uh, kind of assess um, cell morphology, right? So uh, you can use it to count cells as well. All right, so it's really just if you want if you, you sometimes you need to use a, a stain like let's say you have a you have a sediment sample and you're like oh well i need to look for the bugs dappy cool, yeah. cool. all right so, i got gotcha. you yeah nice awesome make it colored so you can see it exactly all right awesome cool it's been really awesome talking to both of you thank you so much um for your time today um yeah it's been a pleasure it's really fun really nice to meet you guys Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you. You just listened to Lab Talk with Laura. This was a special episode produced for the Geological Society of America to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of its On to the Future program. My co-host today was comedian Sean Calhoun of Holyoke, Massachusetts. My guests were David Davis and Dr. Angel Garcia, Jr. This episode was produced as part of my work as the GSA Science Communication Fellow for 2022 to 2023. Thank you for listening.